Hello and welcome to the second bit of the PGCE podcast that we've released today, uh, which is a hint that if you haven't listened to the first one, you should probably stop and go back and get the really big one listened to first. Yes, welcome back everybody. We've got some bonus material for you. This is because in reality terms, we split our day into two halves and we had two extra guests in in the afternoon, two extra panellists. One was Kath Lewis from Central South Consortium. And the other was Lloyd Hopkin, who was representing Welsh Government. Um, So they were in, and you're going to hear them engaging in Q&A that took place in the afternoon session with our second cohort of students. I'm going to play that for you now. Yeah, so uh, just imagine that you sat through an hour and a half of the same sort of presentations that you heard in the main episode, but we didn't want our lovely student questions from the second run to go out uh, unheard by you lovely podcast people so you're just going to catch 20 minutes of the end of the session enjoy yeah um uh we draw student teachers from uh, a number of uh, national and international locations we've actually got a very large cohort of student teachers that join us from canada whoop whoop to those of you in the room um And a question that we are often asked, particularly in the current context of curriculum reform, is, is my qualification going to be transferable if I choose to teach elsewhere? And what is this bringing to me? And and how can I navigate some maybe tricky questions at interview about the fact that I've trained uh, in a devolved uh, area of government, which is going in a very specific national um, direction. So what advice would you give to our student teacher graduates who may be going to go for jobs uh, further afield, in in fact, in in another international location, um, about what this experience may have brought to um, their employability you know there's the there's this old adage I can't remember who said it that intelligence is knowing what a tomato is and wisdom's knowing not to put it in a fruit salad no, oh, no intelligence is knowing that tomatoes are fruit and wisdom's not putting tomato in fruit salad that's what it is and so I was thinking about like wisdom and the role of wisdom and what we don't often talk about is your experiences here in this particular age of reform if you are engaged and if you're asking questions and if you're reading and if you are being present You know, if you are actively, cognitively, spiritually there on this journey, you're going to have some wisdom about curriculum. You're going to have some wisdom about pedagogy, its relationship to instruction and assessment that you're going to be able to talk about in ways that other teachers in England can't talk about because they haven't gone through this journey, this type of experience. But you've got to be involved. You've got to be there for it to actually make an impact on you. And when you write about your um, statements as you're putting in your um, application for a teaching job, you can talk about this unique, distinctive experience that you've had and what you've gained from it. And I tell you what, as a head teacher, if I was sitting there and listening to someone talk about the wisdom they gained from that process, I would value that far more than some kind of just typical experience from someone else so. right who's breaking cover in the room <laughs> go on then okay. I don't know if it's relevant but I just wondered in the future would schools become certain subject heavy and then your local school may be focusing more on a subject that you don't want is that, is that a possibility or is it not that some schools may favour the arts over science and then my local feeder school for my child might be uh, more subject heavy in that area that I don't necessarily want them to focus on or is it not? Think? I think the simple answer to that question to start with is that already happens in schools <clears throat> so in secondary school in particular and primary the main focus is reading 
writing, arithmetic. So in secondary school, the curriculum already is loaded towards English, maths, science, very much to the detriment of, of many other subjects. Um, there is an opportunity now, of course, for there to be more equality across all AOLEs. Mm. That is the vision, really, and it's, it's written clearly that there should be parity across AOLEs. I'd like to think that schools wouldn't just scientifically and mathematically do that and just allocate an equal amount of lessons for all AOLEs. I think that might be the wrong way to go. But to answer your question, yeah, it, it, it already happens and it is a fear that, yes, look, from Stanwall's point of view, we have a fantastic tradition in the expressive arts and it would be great, um, in my opinion, as a historian, if we did weight things towards the expressive arts. But, you know, I don't, again, I think it has to be kind of parity across the whole system. So. I think it's also worth remembering that the, the new guidance makes clear that schools will be under a duty that their curriculum will need to include um, and, and contribute, their curriculum will need to contribute to all of the What Matters statements. And that is the way in which we will ensure breadth and schools will also have a duty to develop a curriculum that allows depth and breadth uh, for their learners so that there's not i think a lot of the concerns that came out in april was well if this is a free-for-all how do you ensure that that learners are getting equity and they're getting um the right you know, sort of learning experiences across here now i think there's there's a couple of points there the first of all is well you know you're not going to get learners embodying the four purposes if they don't have a breadth but we've supported that actually by saying there's a duty for breadth and actually the way that breadth is ensured is that all the, the statements of what matters need to be part of that curriculum. Um, I think it's a slightly separate question then about how schools approach that and they can approach that through different lenses, but ultimately the breadth of the learning needs to be there and that, that'll be a legislative requirement. I think, yeah, that what I was going to pick up with is something that um, myself and my colleague um, have been talking to head teachers a lot about this week is navigating them through all the guidance and and making sure that when, when you look now on the, the new version of the curriculum under legislation, it says that, that you know, it is um, schools are obliged to teach within those 27 what matters. So as long as you are doing that, then you're fulfilling your legislative responsibility and how they do it there is this level of subsidiarity that that can can be nerve-wracking maybe for some and I would say within a new new era of this reform it, it does perhaps it, it's a very valid question for you to ask and and as people who are going to be going and actively seeking jobs it may well be that perhaps for 15 years if I wanted a job as a music teacher um, I applied for it and I knew that I would probably have an hour a week uh, with year seven with year eight year nine I'd I'd have GCSE classes a level classes I'd know that music looked a certain way in primary but now it will be different it well it may well be an important important part of an interview process for you to find out what is the school's vision for your subject or your AOLE. So you will need to do your homework in terms of understanding the school that you are applying to be part of and each school again under the legislation each school is required to design adopt and implement their curriculum and then to, to publish a summary of that on their website so every school will have to communicate to wider stakeholders 
their vision and that's something perhaps that you need to take into consideration perhaps before then going and applying um, for roles in that in that school if you have got a set view on how you want to move forward in teaching have one at the back here yeah thank you um i wrote it down in case i forgot um Something that concerns me about the new curriculum surrounding humanities is um, a lack of training in each of the humanities subjects. For instance, my speciality is RE, and yeah, I haven't taken history or geography since GCSE. So if I were to say, take a job next year as a humanities teacher, I would have to go out of my way to do a lot of personal research into looking at geography, looking at history, whereas when I looked at certain universities in England, um, some of them would offer three to six week courses in geography or history, in my case, as an RE graduate, um, just to kind of enrich that knowledge. Um, I would just like to ask that, do you think Wales is behind in not necessarily offering this? I'll just start answering this one and maybe Kath can pick up later. That's the process we're in at the moment in Wales in terms of upskilling um, members of staff across all of the different AOLEs and, in, and indeed across all different professional learning programmes. Um, whether it will be as bespoke as, as you mentioned um, in England, we're not quite sure the, the way it will look at the moment. But I think you're absolutely right in what you're saying. And believe me, as a historian... That's one of the first things that, that I really worried about was that subject specialism. And if I could just um, give you a brief story, we met with uh, the Dutch government, Stanwell School, uh, representatives from uh, their education department. Um, and just for you to know, that's exactly why the uh, Dutch government, within the first couple of months, really, of curriculum reform, it all fell apart. Because in Holland, they have very powerful guilds of teachers. So a guild of history teachers, a guild of geography teachers. And when they try to tentatively uh, put into kind of government policy an idea of a, a similar curriculum then to Wales, not exactly the same, but a broader with more, more, more um, breadth and so on, it fell down straight away because the guilds of history teachers, science teachers and so on just said, no, we are not losing our subject specialism. And it stopped there. So I think it's a huge pat on the back for teachers and the profession in Wales that we've been open to so many changes. And believe me, in the beginning, I was one of the most vociferous people arguing, look, history is that important, humanities, you know, dumbing down the subject, blah, blah, blah. I did my degree because I want to be a history teacher. And what you're going to find in schools is that in terms of change management, that attitude is going to be there quite a lot. It takes a while for mindsets to change and for, for people's mindsets to change over a long period as well. But as you said, it will come down to upskilling of staff. It will come down to professional learning, professional development. And this now is the stage we're in at the moment. Remember, we've got until September 22. In fact, we've got a long time afterwards as well to make tweaks to the curriculum and so on. But no, I, I, I fully appreciate your concern um, but it will be up to consortia, I suppose, at the middle level to provide these kind of um, upskilling um, professional and experiences. Yeah, yeah uh, from a policy perspective, I suppose there's, there's a couple of points. The first is, I think, the Minister's been very clear, we've been very clear, how schools organise things that are at a school level um, that is, is a consideration for them. That does not negate the importance of 
subject disciplines. Um, I think the revised guidance that was published this week has a lot more in terms of how the different individual disciplines um, support each AOLE. And I think particularly within humanities, we've got a lot more in terms of the disciplinary specific contexts that need to be drawn out. Uh, the minister's also said that there will need, there is likely to be a need for, and we're looking at um, additional guidance, looking at supporting specific disciplinary areas if needed. Um, obviously, there's there's RE or religion, values, and ethics guidance coming as well, um, as, as well as that. But yes, um, the professional learning then is huge as well, um, and that's something you know the PL professional learning pioneers have been involved in and we have a program that's in place on another part of the office which is really looking at okay now we've got this what are the implications and we're working very closely with practitioners to identify well what are those professional learning implications and how do we then work with 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 regions to support those um, but I think that's the point from from my point of view you know we've tried to strengthen that disciplinary focus um, and and more guidance will be needed on that. Mm. So it's something we've been talking about with head teachers this week. I've just been going through some screen grabs of of the the framework and and pulling out where some of those subtle differences between the draft and now the final and and disciplinary um, explicit reference to disciplinary learning and understanding is much clearer uh, now. And as we always say, this level of subsidiarity means as long as you are uh, delivering all of the 27 what matters, um, then how you choose to do that, whether you may go from a, a particularly interdisciplinary approach um, further down the, the continuum, um, leading to more specialised or disciplinary later, that is absolutely a school level decision. So some schools may continue to teach in this subject specialisms, whereas some may want to explore interdisciplinary, but they are methods, models of delivery that, that um, schools will discuss and trial and evaluate um, uh, as they move through the process. Okay, thank you very much. Do we have any primary questions? Have we got we got somebody from primary down here. We've had a lot of secondary questions. So Gemma, just down here, um, second from the front. Um, so I was just talking with colleagues at school, and we were um, discussing during inset about the what matters statements and engaging with those. But um, we were a bit worried about losing the four purposes because we were so focused on the what matters statements. So just looking for ideas or recommendations to keeping the four purposes at the forefront while bringing in the what matters statements, if you had any ideas or recommendations. What a good question. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Really Gareth looked yeah. poised yeah. and ready to answer <laughs> Uh, there is uh, absolutely danger in that and with any kind of curriculum anywhere in the world people go straight to the detail um, so you do need to go to the detail and you have to use that to help you to plan um, but all the time we should always be thinking about the four purposes so they should be there at the centre of our practice um, it was mentioned this morning by Sunny who was with us that the four purposes should not be used um, as an evaluative model so you shouldn't be judging pupils against the four purposes but they should be there as the aim and the aspiration for all pupils as individuals as well as the kind of education that you're trying to provide for all of your students so it's it's not an easy answer to say oh you must just remember them but that's the only answer really is that yes you jump into what matters you're going to jump into the detail but all the time you have to come back to the four purposes are we waiting too much to one are we missing another just keeping them there all the time 
And, and if we look at the wider elements of reform in terms of our professional standards for teaching and leadership, our NAPL, the National Approach to Professional Learning, uh, Schools as Learning Organisations Frameworks, all of those um, have the four purposes um, at, at the core. Um, and the, the key th the message that we keep sharing, particularly with, with senior leaders, is to make sure that as well we don't iconise those four purposes that, you know, today I'm ethically informed and tomorrow I'm healthy and confident. And to understand this purpose-led curriculum, we absolutely have to unlock what those four purposes mean for our whole school community, what they mean then within our AOLEs and what they mean potentially within in a discipline within the AOLEs. So we must make sure that we take that statement, maybe the healthy and confident, but those sub-attributes and characteristics that sit within them, mm -hmm. because that's what help us to bring the full purposes to, to life and that we can start to make links then with them to children and young people. There's a, oh sorry, there's a, uh, from the business world, this thing called the Leadership Challenge, and, uh, and it's an excellent framework for leadership. And I think we're kind of talking around the concept of educational leadership here because the very first step of that leadership challenge for instance is to inspire a shared vision and if we're using these four purposes as kind of the vehicle for our vision then that's up to obviously school leadership to inspire that shared vision but the thing about it being shared is everyone else is also engaging in that discussion and that means that leadership's happening at different levels throughout the school and so that means just like what uh, Kat's been saying here is that it's, it's going to call for a closer investigation of what we mean by each of those four purposes and that those have to be ongoing deliberative discussions throughout your whole you know school year and then continuing over and over again and there's a big difference because everyone will interpret them differently the one of them's um, informed ethically informed citizens which is a big difference from being ethical informed citizens or informed ethical citizens for instance you know and so we have to get down to kind of a shared understanding and there can be differences but we have to be able to negotiate through those through deliberations so what we really need and this is being pushed through uh, with the school's professional uh, learning organization and all stuff like that but in real terms it means more dialogue with each other. It means more kind of ad hoc discussions, passing through the corridors, more shared teaching experiences, much more of a community uh, approach, in my opinion, for, for keeping those aims, not in the forefront, but kind of behind what our immediate goals are, so we feel like we're working towards them. The only other thing I'd, I'd add is, is when the statements of what matters were designed and refined, the intention was that they would contribute to the four purposes. Now that doesn't mean if you do the, the what matters, the statements of what matters, you've done the four purposes, mm -hmm. but it does mean that they're, they're looking to drive towards those. So they've not been developed sort of in isolation. Actually, the test and question we had when, when those were developed was, are these as a suite of statements going to support learners? Um, are, they, are, they, are you going to sort of get to the end of that and be an educated, informed learner of Wales? Are you going to embody the four purposes? So in that sense, they're not, they're not, they're intended to be complementary. Mm. Um, but as I say, it doesn't mean that by doing one, you're doing the other. Mm. We've had some very clear key messages that have run across all of our panelists' presentations um, that actually seem to be mirroring our, our standards for teaching and leadership, that pedagogy is paramount, that we need to be researching and engaging in professional learning, that we need to talk to each other, we need to collaborate and think more deeply about what we're what we're going to do going forward in, in bringing this curriculum uh, into realisation in our classrooms for our learners. So there's a lot to think about, a lot to carry on outside of
of these four walls. So I'd like to now take this opportunity to thank you for being here this afternoon and for being engaged in the conversation and to thank our panellists for their time as well. Thank you very much to all of you. Thank you.